Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today on the show, we have Brian Nazaro with the Association of Certified Commercial Cannabis Experts. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Lee. Happy to be here. Thanks. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about um, the Association of Certified Commercial Cannabis Experts? How are you serving folks? Sure. We're a membership-driven association. We really focus in on our professional compliance and risk management um, experts out there in the cannabis industry. We're trying to provide them the information they need curated in the way that they need it, uh, provide the resources so they can implement um, their programs at their specific operations and give them a way uh, to understand how to enhance these programs over time without having to redo everything that they've done before and uh, come out with a really efficient and effective way to help commercial cannabis businesses sell their products and remain compliant. Now, can you educate the listener a little bit about kind of where we're at um, from the history of the industry? It's relatively new in America and, um, you know, it's going through its uh, a variety of, I guess, growing pains. Can you talk about where we're at and where you see it going in the you know near future? Sure. In 2021, we had about 16 to 20 billion dollars worth of um, cannabis product sales. Uh, We have roughly 18 states that allow recreational and 36 that allow some sort of medical uh, marijuana. When I use the word state, just realize there are territories out there like D.C. or Puerto Rico uh, that I'm lumping into this. And it's really started to to go across the nation. I mean, we're also seeing it internationally. Obviously, Canada to the north has done a lot of work to make it federally legal. Uh, You have a lot of medicinal use over in Europe, specifically in Germany, and a lot of production around the rest of the world um, as people are starting to see the global market for cannabis and and the real consumer demand for this in in the markets that uh, it's legal in. It has had a checkered past. I mean, uh, it kind of reminds me what I thought of as prohibition of alcohol before, where it was still going on. It was still uh, pretty strong in the culture. And when prohibition ended, uh, you had a lot of people trying to figure out how to make their way in the licensed market. And you really had a lot more controls going on. You know, I, I remember uh back in history class where they, they were like, yeah, there was gin blindness and moonshine was, was hurting people. Well, that's the reason to go into a regulated market is there are uh, government officials that are trying to make sure that the safety and the soundness of the market is maintained so that that uh, consumers can rely on the products that they're about to buy. So we've had a lot of uh, improvements in the overall industry. We've had a lot of uh, improvements in how um, culturally the consumers are looking at the cannabis product and realizing that even if that's not a choice that they want to make, there are medicinal applications, there are recreational applications, um, and really it's just allowing people that want to Uh, have access to this cannabis product can find a safe and sound um, market that can serve that need. Now is the, um, is prohibition, is that uh, a fair kind of um, a data point to use as the path that it went on as the path that, that um, cannabis is, is going to go on? Like when they, when prohibition ended and uh, people can buy alcohol, 
Did they have the same kind of banking issues and financial challenges that the cannabis companies are struggling with? I think that's a... um Interesting issue. I doubt it because uh, anti-money laundering is the main regulation that really keeps banks from and financial institutions from serving this business. That's really an 80s construct. Um, and so prohibition was before that. I imagine there were some questions and some stigmas, but it probably wasn't coming from the same angles that it's coming from today. Um, really what what we've seen is that the government looks at certain um, entity types like financial institutions as gatekeepers to the overall financial services market and the obligation uh, when you get a charter or a license to operate in financial services is to make sure that illicit activity doesn't run through there. Um, you can't help organized crime essentially, right? Um, and so that's really what's causing the banking issue. Now, I'm sure there was some, probably a lot of other issues, like I'm sure there were seizures. I'm sure there was other things where, you know, once something becomes legal, it doesn't mean that everybody got the message that day. Um, you know, I, I imagine law enforcement um, did, did take legitimate seizures of alcohol. I'm hypothesizing at this point, but it would seem to make sense because it's hard to tell everybody, okay, this thing that was illegal, here's how it can be legal, but there are still many ways that it would be illegal. And it's very confusing for those that are enforcing the laws. And I think that's where a lot of crossover is, is happening today as it would have been in the past. And isn't this where um, kind of the value of your organization really comes to the fore is that somebody has to stay on top of this because it's a moving target. It's changing, uh, it seems like, on a regular basis. And somebody has to kind of um, be the somebody who understands this and the ins and outs and the risks and the opportunities. Somebody has to kind of watch the back of the people that are, are doing the work kind of in the local markets. Absolutely. It's risk and reward. I mean, it, it really has to go together because you're not always trying to mitigate risk if it's really going to affect the reward that you want. And you're not always trying to um, to take all the reward at the cost of all the risk. And so the way that I would push this out further is you've got a great point that things are changing and that's what you want from compliance and risk people. You don't want us just beating the same issue over and over again, because essentially it's diminishing returns. You know, at some point, that issue is probably as mitigated as it needs to be. It's as efficiently and effectively managed by the business. Start looking at the other things that hurt the safety and soundness of the licensed cannabis market or the risks that are, are likely to put your business at risk and focus on those because that will drive value into the business. Compliance and risk don't survive if the business doesn't survive. So you want um, these these qualified risk and compliance um, people to understand how to balance business objectives with risk mitigation and reward, or you're going to get a one-sided outcome. Now, um, some of the challenges that um, not only are you dealing with kind of the local issues, but you also have federal issues that it's just difficult to get a clear understanding of where anybody stands at any given moment. Yep. There's all sorts of issues. And, and look, in highly regulated industries, that's what they really mean. It's so easy to cross the line and have noncompliance or misconduct as essentially a legal activity that happens because the business is so highly regulated and the outputs are so highly regulated, a mistake can actually cause you um, larger issues than less regulated industries. And so 
within this, what you're really trying to find is somebody that can help the management committee and the investors and the regulators understand that the business has an intent to comply. Because that's the first step. When you're really looking at compliance and risk mitigation, I would say almost all owners and investors want to know, well, how did you reduce my criminal exposure? I wouldn't like to go to jail. And that does happen occasionally in in highly regulated industries, um, because that's how they keep Uh, the industries in line is criminal and civil and administrative exposures. And so you really want this qualified person that, yes, understands the risks, but truly understands those drivers of criminal, civil, administrative, and reputational exposure so that no matter what the risk is, they can manage those aspects for you and tell you confidently why either it's mitigated to a certain level or eliminated so that you can go focus in on your business objectives, grow your business, have that better product, really compete in the market that you joined. You didn't join a compliance and risk market. You joined a cannabis products market. That's probably where you want to compete. Right. And, and nobody, I would, I would think that when they signed up for this, they weren't saying, Hey, let's figure out ways to beat the system. They were just trying to take advantage of an opportunity and they, they want to play by the rules. It's just that, um, it just gets to me, it's very confusing. And there's a lot of inadvertent mistakes that could be really painful. And that's the problem. They're not necessarily inadvertent, but they're also not meaning to be um, illegal. Look, there's a lot of energy as an entrepreneur. I mean, every day you have to put your mind towards something. And when you have an exciting avenue, it's hard to see all the other things around you, which is why you're supposed to have this group of trusted advisors. We normally talk about them as the C-suite or executive management or senior management, but it's this group that's that's supposed to keep you from getting tunnel vision and, and pull you back and be like, look, the idea overall probably has legs, but we're going to have to trim and shape different parts of this to make sure that it fits within the legal construct of what, in this case, a cannabis product or cannabis service can be. And, and I think that's that's the, the big thing that people miss. The, the point of the compliance and risk officer is to help everybody else see, look, where is there a great idea that has merit in the marketplace? And where do you step over the line? And, and you might be adding criminal or civil exposure to your business. And and that can actually destroy a lot of value in all the other things that you've done. This one product or this one service brings down the rest of your business. Was it really worth doing that? And that's where you need that trusted advisor to come back and say, look, you can see why um, this might be across the line. And here are the options that we might have to bring it back inside the bounds. Right. And constraints and parameters are part of every business. I mean, everybody has to deal with it to some extent. Obviously, there's uh, uh, the cannabis industry has its own unique challenges, but there's al- there's always constraints. <laughs> no, like no one can do anything they want to do just because they want to do it. So, I mean, that's just part of being an entrepreneur. Now, for you, um, you know, in this organization, what are some of the challenges you have of elevating these issues to the fore and getting people to become members and support the work that you're doing? You know, a lot of it comes around what the cannabis industry really is to, um, to, to, to the overall environment of business. We don't normally get highly regulated industries that enter the market and in their you know 10th year are generating $20 billion of revenue. I mean, that's just huge numbers to put up on the board. Um, and, and we don't 
we, we haven't had a lot of new entries to highly regulate it. And the problem with that is that it goes back to that first problem we're talking about banking, right? Banking expects that highly regulated industries have a risk-based approach, that they've matured these processes and can show how they're managing their risk so that they don't put the financial services at risk. But that's because most highly regulated industries have been around for 30 plus years. They've had time to mature this. You know, companies that are just coming online um, today or just been around for three years or five years or didn't know the expectations 10 years ago, you just can't hold them to the same level. Um, You're expecting for these companies to mature over time. But that is a hard story to tell to executive management, to tell to regulators, to tell to a lot of third parties as you're serving this emerging industry that hey, we're not going to have the same controls as arms dealers, as oil and gas, as pharmaceuticals, food manufacturing, as go down the list because we just haven't had the time. But the nice thing is it won't take us 30 years to get there because we do know how to identify the best practices and risk um, management that go across industries. We do know what the risk management frameworks are for these other highly regulated critical business relationships that are needed in cannabis. And so we can start talking to them and saying, okay, well, here's the plan. Here's how we prioritize it. And here's how you know that you know we've at least reduced our our criminal exposure or eliminated to the point that's reasonable. And here's how we're working on our civil exposure. And here's how you can trust that if we find something non-compliant or illicit, we're not shoving it under the mat. We're going to deal with it and we're going to deal with it in a way that is recognized um, by the government. It generally comes down to deferred prosecution. You're trying to show that when you have an issue that could materially impact the safety or soundness of the licensed cannabis market, that you're not just coming back and saying, well, I'll pay people off to not talk about it. You're coming back and saying, look, I'm going to remediate the issue, try and make it as low impact as possible on the impacted parties. And then going forward, this is how I'm going to change my practices to make sure that um, issues like this don't occur or occur less frequently and at a lower impact. And that's really what what is expected in highly regulated um, industries. So now um, who should become a member of your association? Right. We mainly focus in on compliance and risk professionals. So from the entry level all the way up to the board level, the lead risk or compliance director at a company. Um, That said, we still work with the overall entities through alliance uh, memberships. So we focus in on the individual members for risk and compliance specific There are some needs for um, CEOs or CEOs to understand risk operations. They will also join. And then on the company side, if your brand is trying to show their their strong risk culture and say, this is why you should allow us to expand into future markets and be larger than most of our competition. We work with a lot of companies like that, where they need that public acknowledgement that they are actually intending to comply. And it's not just words. There's actual practices that are being put in place. There's actual formalization. Um, and then that third category is the, the vendors and um, regulators, those involved in risk and compliance management in the commercial cannabis industry, but not plant touching. You know, they also need to understand what are the risks that we should expect operators to manage? What are the risks most likely to affect these businesses? What are the the best practices that we should look for in place at these operators so that we don't have ridiculous requests like give us everything about you and we want a picture of you on your honeymoon because we need to know you're married to whoever you're married to. I mean, it gets really hard out there when everybody's trying to make up what the risks are that you're exposed to and then figure out what they could ask for. You want somebody to help guide 
guide you and say, look, these are kind of the standard documentations. If you have a risk that you're otherwise trying to manage, sure, you might need to do something unique, but you should ask yourself, is that really a risk that is going to emanate from your commercial cannabis business um, clients, customers? Now, um, those are the people that should join. When they do join, what are some of the benefits of the membership? Obviously, they're getting a lot of thought leadership. They're getting a lot of... um, interacting with other people kind of fighting the same fight, but are there some um, specific benefits of becoming a member? Yeah, it's, it's about having the right tool chest and risk and compliance fight fight with their mind. You wouldn't want a carpenter to go out there, a professional carpenter, and show up without a toolbox. You know, you don't want them screwing in screws with their fingers. It's the same thing for compliance and risk professionals. They need these tools. So policies, procedures, practices, um, ways to conceptualize what the risks are so they can explain it to others. And uh, the, the value of an association is we curate the information that comes across and we also make it so that our resources and our tools can interact with each other and build on top of each other so that your compliance and risk person is really focusing in on managing the risk specific to your business, not trying to find the information that they're looking for just through Google or, you know, go get a policy out of um, pharmaceutical and try and adopt it to their, uh, their business. You know, we've done a lot of that legwork for them so that it integrates well and that there's a way that they can demonstrate the efficiency and effectiveness of the risk management practices and also show that if noncompliance or misconduct happens, that there's a reasonable way that the business was trying to manage this. And that is part of the defense. You know, when you get in trouble, um, it really comes down to fines and penalties. You're almost always going to get the fine because something went wrong, but the penalty can be mitigated, uh, pretty materially, because if you've already done everything that the government's expecting you um, to do, then why should they penalize you further than just saying, yeah, you did do the bad thing. Here's the fine. There's no reason to go further to that penalty um, phase. So really just setting it up so that this professional has the tools that they need, the tools work together, it becomes efficient and effective, and it actually has that outcome that they're looking for um, should something go, go wrong. Now, is part of your offering some sort of certification where people become certified in this specialty? Absolutely. So part of any deferred prosecution standard that we're aware of around the world is that, especially in compliance and risk, the business can't just say, we intend not to break the law. Every business would say that if that was the defense. What you have to show is that you had a reasonably qualified person who managed this aspect of the business desire from a day-to-day perspective. Um, Most of these these deferred prosecution standards call out for this qualification, but they don't say what it is. And so you can can show it through a few different ways. You you might have history or experience. You might be able to lean on maybe your um, accounting, auditing background or your legal background. Um, But but risk management and compliance is open to, to all. There's not a specific standard for it. So if you're coming from a different educational background or a different history, then what you need to be able to show is that you understand what this industry is, what the indus- what the risks are specific to the commercial cannabis industry, and what the risks are specific to your business. And you have to show that you had a reasonable concept and methodology to bring this all together so that if something goes wrong, people could look at it and say, you know, there was actually a lot of good things that this business was doing. They fixed, you know, eight to 10 things that could have been bigger um, risks in the future. And they just hadn't had time to prioritize this risk yet. They're on the right track. 
Um, we can rely on them to understand how to manage this in the future because this person is qualified to lead the company and be that trusted advisor amongst executive management to, to manage the risk. And that's what the qualification of the certification is really about, is you have to be able to demonstrate that you weren't just somebody, but you're the right somebody to help the company understand what they need to manage. Now, if somebody wants to learn more uh, or get involved with the association, uh, is there a website? There is ace.org. It's A-C-C-C-E.org. So three C's. Um, and we, we have a lot of our information up there. Um, please feel free to contact us through any of the web forms or reach out to myself at Brian, B-R-I-O-N at ace.org. Good stuff. Well, Brian, congratulations on all the success. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. Thank you. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.